0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of Riley and Sandwell Metropolitan Borough Council. And the citation for this case is 2018 UKSC 16. And this case presents some quite sensitive issues, but is ultimately about employment law and in particular unfair dismissal. The first party, Caroline Riley, used to be a head teacher at a primary school in the area of Sandwell Metropolitan Borough Council, who are the other party to this case. Ms. Riley has long known a man called Ian Selwood, and although they are not in a romantic relationship of any sort, the pair were very close friends. In fact, they were such good friends that in 2003 they actually bought a house together as an investment property. While it was Mr. Selwood who lived there full time, Ms. Riley would, on occasion, stay over. The action for the purposes of this case begins in 2009. At the start of that year, she applied for the head teacher position and was eventually appointed in September. However, in the intervening period, her friend Mr. Selwood was arrested on suspicion of downloading indecent images of children. He was not actually convicted until February 2010. But even after that, Riley remained loyal to her friend and they actually ended up going on holiday together in April 2010. A couple of months later, the local authority found out about Mr. Selwood and especially his close relationship with Ms. Riley and became concerned about the proximity between one of their head teachers and a convicted paedophile. Riley's disciplinary hearing did not take place until May 2011. But at that hearing, both sides of the argument were clearly presented. Riley submitted that her relationship with Selwood poses no risk to pupils of the school, and so there was no reason to disclose it to the school governors. On the other side, it was argued that the failure to disclose the relationship represented a serious breach of the implied terms of her employment contract, amounting to gross misconduct. The panel found against Miss Riley and so she was summarily dismissed from her position. The question was appealed through the Employment Tribunals and the Court of Appeal on the basis of unfair dismissal as well as sex discrimination. But Riley found no joy as the case made its way to the Supreme Court, which is where we pick it up. The law on unfair dismissal is still governed by the Employment Rights Act 1996 and, in particular, Section 98, In essence, it sort of works in reverse and so a dismissal will only be fair if the employer can prove that firstly there is a reason for the dismissal, secondly that reason relates either to the conduct of the employee or is justifiable in some other similar fashion, and finally that the employer acted reasonably when treating the reason as sufficient for the dismissal. That final point actually relates to how reasonable the employer's approach was, and is based on the case of British Home Stores Limited and Birchall from 1980. We will look at that case in more detail later on when it comes to our analysis, but for now it is enough to say that the tribunal is asking the question, was the dismissal within a range of reasonable responses based on the actual reason for the dismissal? and had there been a sufficient investigation by the employer. Applying all of this to the case at hand, we can begin with the governors, and in particular their duty to safeguard the pupils of the school. Sex offenders obviously represent a danger to children, but the justices were keen to point out that this is not just a direct threat, but can also be an indirect threat via people who are known associates of sex offenders. There is plenty of evidence and authority for this, but in his lead judgment, Lord Wilson specifically drew on parliamentary recognition in the form of the Child Care Act 2006. Coming back round to that first question, in the Employment Rights Act, there is a clear reason for the dismissal because of the contractual obligation to help the governors in their duty to safeguard pupils of the school. On the second question, there is a clear link between Riley's conduct and the reason for her dismissal because of the failure to disclose her relationship. Finally, the justices looked at the response of the employer, and there is a lot to suggest that their approach was proportionate. Given her position of authority within the school, Ms Riley had access to key personal information about pupils, that goes beyond even what is stored on file, but includes things that she would know from her close personal relationships with pupils, such as their daily routine and their circumstances at home. Her powers would also include granting access to the school to visitors and so there had to be an assessment of the risk that Mr Selwood represented with this in mind. Taking account of this context the panel was within its right to conclude that the non-disclosure represented a breach of the implied terms of her employment contract and on top of this her refusal to recognise that she had done anything wrong in this regard meant that the decision to summarily dismiss her was within the range of reasonable responses at the hearing. Overall, you can see why this case did make it to the Supreme Court. Despite the sensitive nature of the subject area, there was a case to be made out here and something worthy of going before the justices. We can probably assume that Ms. Riley is a decent woman and would never have allowed Mr. Selwood access to pupils at the school, but ultimately that is not the question here. The issue is around the exposure of risk and there clearly is a fundamental risk in play when the head teacher of a school has an existing and ongoing relationship with a sex offender both the failure to disclose this and the refusal to concede that this was the wrong course of action on the part of ms riley meant that her dismissal was a reasonable response in the circumstances now there isn't much else to say about ms riley's own case here but there are a couple of rather geeky law points that we can also discuss before we finish and That is thanks to the concurring judgement from Lady Hale. She suggested that if the case had been argued differently, then the court might have had the opportunity to re-examine and potentially even change some of the older established law in this area. So what other arguments could have been made by Ms Riley's barrister? Well, if you remember, Ms Riley was dismissed because her conduct breached one of the implied terms of her employment contract rather than an explicit term or condition. Is it really fair to dismiss someone because of something they have done, but did not even realise amounted to a breach of contract? At the moment, the answer is yes, and is most commonly described in cases as a breakdown of trust and confidence. As you can probably tell, that is pretty broad and is quite a catch-all term, but is implied into every single employment contract. There is some protection for employees to avoid this implied term being abused as tribunals are required to investigate whether that reason is genuine or actually a mask for some other reason that the employer had for the dismissal. This is still quite a fine line to tread however and it would have been interesting to see if and how the Supreme Court would have intervened. I'm not certain that they would have got rid of unfair dismissal for conduct that amounted to a breach of an implied term of contract, because that itself might have led to an unreasonable result in this particular case, but the justices might have between them formulated a better and more consistent rule. In my view, something based on objectivity and whether the reasonable person would have realized that their actions amounted to a breach of the implied term of mutual trust and confidence, is a fairer approach and would have achieved the same result for the local authority in this case. The second point that Lady Hale made was in relation to the principle set out in British Home Stores Limited and Birchill, and in particular whether that case was correctly decided. Overturning that case has the potential to be quite revolutionary in the field of employment law because it forms a part of almost every case for unfair dismissal. The approach taken by the employer is always assessed by whether there was a genuine belief on reasonable grounds after a reasonable investigation, and this is seen to comprehensively cover their actions. In fact, we saw it in this case when discussing Ms Riley. There is not a great deal of criticism surrounding Birchill, so it's quite hard to work out what aspect Lady Hale might have wanted to review because there would still be a need to assess the conduct of employers in any unfair dismissal case. The only thing that I can think of is the possibility of coming up with a better means of working out whether the response by the employer was within a reasonable range. While this offers a greater degree of flexibility, it does feel a little vague and can place tribunals in a difficult position when employers take action that pushes boundaries. A new rule could not be prescriptive, but might choose to instead focus more on the concept of proportionality. Of course, I might be barking up completely the wrong tree here, but let me know what you think. I am at Marcus Cleaver on Twitter, and uh, same on SoundCloud. If you're watching this on YouTube, then drop a comment below the line. Well, that's all from me, so thank you very much for tuning in again to another episode. Thanks as ever to bensound.com for the theme music. I'll be back with another case next week, but for now, bye!